Good morning. And Happy New Year, if I haven't said that to you yet. For some of us, it's like, hey, it takes us a couple weeks to get into that new year, right? I uh, was using my new journal and realized I was marking, I date my entries and was using 22 and had to go back and edit those. So good morning, Happy New Year to those in the room watching online and in our traditions venue across the hall. Hey, I just want to say thank you to all of those of you who participated in last week's worship night, powerful time in the Lord. I mean, just even in our own family, our kids experiencing the Holy Spirit in new ways. And I just thank you for being a church family where my kids can grow in that way. And then just fasting this last week with many of you experiencing a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit that is beyond uh, the norm. And if you're not fasting with us and you haven't been a part of that's great. You're you're part of the right family, right? You're a part of a family, and we all benefit from each other's pursuit of Jesus. And so whether that's in, in journaling or in the Word or all these different things, the more that we pursue Jesus, the more we benefit and everybody around us benefits. And that is the beauty of devotion to Jesus. It really is the key to our flourishing. And that's why this last week I, um, I invited you to join me in a challenge. It's kind of a unique challenge. It shouldn't be for those of us that believe the Bible is God's Word, but it is a little bit in our day and age kind of a unique challenge, and I challenged you and will continue to challenge you to embrace the invitation, the biblical invitation to Sabbath, to Sabbath. And, and really, we defined that this last week in this way, that once a week, take 24 hours to push pause on problems and productivity, the bad stuff that keeps us busy and the good stuff that keeps us busy, and push play on God's provision and presence. That's really what Sabbath is about, is stopping to enjoy what God has given us, stopping all of the things that keep us busy to uh, reflect on what God has done in us. And interestingly, that is something that God has made pretty important in Scripture, but as a result of Western civilization and even some things lost in, in New Testament Christianity, it's one of those things that, that we have kind of left behind. And so I want to challenge you, and I'm, I'm serious about this. You don't have to be perfect at it. We don't, we're not going to be perfect at anything, but I want to challenge you to really work with your roommates, your spouse, your family, whoever you live with, on what does a 24-hour period of not working on things look like? I'm going to explain a little bit more of what I mean about that today or tomorrow, but how many of you, the minute that I say that, you're like, Caleb, I do not have 24 hours laying around with nothing to do with. I mean, how many of you by a show of hands would say, uh, most of the time I would say, I'm busy? How many of you feel like you're busy? Wow, some of you are just living a Sabbath life already, I guess. Good for you. I don't know about you, but I feel busy most of the time. In fact, wouldn't you say that the, the, one of the most common responses you hear when you say, hey, how are you doing, or, or what's going on in life, people say, oh, I'm good, I'm just really busy, Right? Or, hey, can you do this for me? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm just so busy. It's been a busy season. The holidays are busy. The New Year's busy. Have you noticed that every season is busy? Just like busy. We're busy all the time. Busyness is a part of our life. It's a part of our culture. We'll talk about that a little bit. Of, a, a bit. But busyness is something that is normal to all of us. You're not, if you're busy, you're not unique. I hate to tell you this, but if you're busy, you're not special because you're busy, which is a common misconception in our culture. We, we actually, and, and statistics show this, this isn't Caleb's bright idea, busyness has become a sign of status in our culture. 
That's why, uh, you know, we're famous for the greetings and the responses that say something, but they don't say anything, right? Like, how are you? Fine, good. And the, the phrase, I'm just busy, has entered into that standard response. Why? Because it actually is a sign of status. It's a sign of importance. It's like, I'm, I'm busy, so I must be a big deal. I'm busy, so I'm important to the function of the world, and busyness becomes kind of a little bit of an ego boost, like, yeah, I'm, I'm really busy. I'm a busy person. In fact, statistics show that where, um, where prior to about 50, 60 years ago, a sign of status was rest. And actually, not too many decades ago, the, the sign of wealth was someone really just like lounging by a pool with nothing to do. And now a sign of wealth is being in like a high-rise office typing away furiously at a laptop in an expensive suit or something like that, right? That busyness, we've moved from, from wealth and power being symbolized by luxury to wealth and power being symbolized by busyness. Now, we haven't tossed out the luxury and power part either, but busyness has become a part of our culture and it makes us feel good about ourselves. And here's the other thing. Busyness has become a legitimate excuse in our culture for a lack of relationship with family, with community, and with God. In fact, we probably, I've used this one with God. I'm like, oh God, I'm sorry. I've been so busy doing your work, by the way. And God's like, really? Because you were doing it without me. Right? And and. There are times when, whether we say it this way or not, we've neglected relationships that are important in our lives, whether that's a family member, a coworker, or a friend, and we've justified it out of our own busyness. This is a cultural norm, and in this cultural norm, we live, this busyness forces us and leads us, and we tend to embrace a, a unsustainable need for speed. Right? We have to find ways to move faster, to be more efficient, to use time better. And we celebrate it when we do. And interestingly, the, the, in, the massive uh, increase of technology in recent decades has not helped us to be less busy. Even though technology gets more work done for us, we use it to be more busy, right? We carry phones around with us that allow us to literally be busy with something 100% of the time. We all feel it. And there are moments when we love being busy. There's moments where it feels really valuable and feels kind of like you get a little bit of a rush from being busy. And there's other moments where we feel exhausted by it and we hate it. It's just the, the water that we swim in. And, and the question should be asked, is busyness, Caleb, is busyness really that bad? I mean, some of you that are doers in the room right now, you're like, Caleb, you are stepping on my toes. And you know what? If everybody else got as much done as I do, I wouldn't be this busy all the time. Right, so is busyness all that bad? Is busyness all that bad? I I don't think that that should be the question. I think a better question is when does busyness get bad? When does busyness become bad? Because a certain amount of busyness comes with living a purposeful life. A certain amount of busyness means that your, your life is full of meaningful things that are worth spending time on. 
some busyness is actually a good thing. It's a healthy thing. But when does busyness get bad? I want to paraphrase uh, John Mark Comer from a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And I would highly recommend this book just to gain perspective on the unique level of busyness in our culture. And he has some great tools for how to navigate that. He has a great section on Sabbath. If you're like, what does Sabbath look like for the modern day Christian? He has some great ideas in there. But in his book, to paraphrase a a section that he writes on this idea of busyness, he comes to the conclusion that busyness becomes bad when it hinders our love for people. That when you love people less because you're so busy, you've gotten too busy. When you treat people differently because you've been so busy, you're too busy. When your schedule and your pace reach a point that keeps you from loving the people around you the way Jesus would. Right, so if you have so many things to get done, you are just cracking the whip on your kids. Come on, come on, move faster, let's do this. I've been guilty of that. Some of you are like, that was me getting ready for church this morning, (laughs) right? If you're constantly frustrated with your spouse because they make you late, which that's 50% of the spouses in the room today. Right? If, you're, if you're, just, you're just fed up with coworkers because they're slowing you down and you show that, right? If there's not an ability to process in light of your love for people what you need to communicate, because sometimes people do need to hurry up or need to be more productive, accountability is a good thing, but how you exercise accountability really matters, right? And so if you're too busy to treat people like human beings made in the image of Jesus, you're too busy. Taking it from a different angle, from another book that I'm reading right now, is recommended to me by Pastor Shannon on Sabbath, a great book on just applying the ideas of Sabbath as a modern-day Christian um, by Mark Buchanan. It's called The Rest of God, and he approaches the question not from, are you too busy, but are you rested enough? And he says this, he says, one measure of whether or not you're rested enough is how much do I care about the things I care about? When we stop caring about the things that we care about, that is a signal we are too busy. We've let ourselves be consumed by things that feed the ego but starve the soul. You know, when when we let ourselves get too busy, we get worn out. And when we get worn out, we lean, lean into easy things that are not always good things, right? The simple version is you may know and you may want to eat healthy, but when you're stressed out and tired out and worn out, what do you eat? Not healthy. Chips and ice cream, right? Maybe that's just me. But, you know, that that is true in other areas. You may say, man, my spouse is the person that I love and I'm devoted to more than anyone else. But when you're stressed and you're busy and you're worn out, rather than put the effort into intimacy that is required, it is easy for you to lean into other bad habits or look for intimacy elsewhere. Right? When we are too worn out to make good decisions, our busyness becomes the source of the weariness that makes us susceptible to the temptations of the enemy. And sometimes we stop caring about the things that we care about most. And the simple day-to-day version is just that we don't care about how we treat our kids. We don't care about how we treat our coworkers. We don't care about how we treat God because we're just trying to survive our own schedules. Have you ever felt that way? I'm just trying to survive my day, much less think about treating someone really nice. 
So are you too rested? But before you feel too bad, you, you know, this is the moment where we can all just take a little bit of a moment and be like, I feel guilty, Jesus help me. But before you feel too bad, just remember that everything in our current culture moves us in this direction. Everything around you, if you're like, man, this is just me and I need to get, recognize that you're gonna be swimming upstream to rectify this problem in your life. Because even in our culture, it's, it's not a secret amongst uh, marketers that in the modern attention economy, um, businesses and marketers have realized that the more that something can keep your attention, the more money they can make off of you. In fact, the original founder of Facebook said that was the principle that they founded Facebook on, is the more attention, that, the more they could keep people's attention, the more money they can make off of you. Doesn't that feel sweet and relational? Just enjoy your social media this week. They're making money off of you, and they don't care how much of, the, of your life they drowned away with a screen. And so that's true not just of your social media. That's true of marketing and business, and that's true in, in uh, companies have realized that if, the more they can keep someone focused on their company and regardless of other things of their, uh, in their lives, that the more productive that person will be until they burn out and they can plug another, another person in. So the more they can keep people in an office, on the phone, away from families and vacations to do work, the more productive they will be. And so these aren't things that we would say out loud that we do. They're things that just mathematically make sense and we turn people and our own lives into numbers and equations rather than into souls. And so our culture is built to keep people busy. Our culture is built to keep people's attention, to keep people's focus in ways that are not restful but are sapping us of our strength. And probably the greatest tool that anything in our culture has to do that with is our phones, Right? I mean, when's the last time that you were in a small social situation or maybe waiting in a line at a grocery store and rather than have a moment for your mind to just think or you engage, God forbid, in a conversation with someone you don't know, you pull out your phone and pretend like you have something to do on it. I know you do it. I know you do because I've seen you. And I do it too because sometimes I'm too tired to have another conversation and I just want to hide behind the screen right? It's a sign of busyness, and it's a sign that we are uncomfortable and insecure with ourselves. Our culture haunts us, and our screens especially haunt us with the next thing we have to do or have to have. Your phone, every notification on your phone is either something you have to do, something you have to have. Doesn't that feel good? I mean, how many of you have been in meetings with someone with a glorious iPhone watch that's constantly... No, I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm like, you're not listening. You're hitting your hand every three seconds. 50% of your brain is somewhere else than right now. How is that good for us? Some of you are like, don't you talk about my iPhone watch. Don't you talk about my iWatch that way. Others of you are like, I'm crushing it under my shoe right now. But the point is this. It's not the watch that's bad. It's not the phone that's bad. It's something inside of us that finds meaning there because we haven't found it elsewhere. Our culture leads us to all these different conclusions and the simple version is this, is that more activity equals more happiness. The more busy you are on a screen or in life, the more happy you will be. That's the lie. 
And as a culture, we've bought into it. And the result is that we statistically live in a supremely well-resourced society with a historic level of mentally and emotionally unhealthy people. So if you're feeling mentally and emotionally unhealthy, you're not abnormal, you're the norm. But not in history, just in our culture now. So some of us, you know, the busyness factor makes us hate our jobs and maybe even resent the people that our jobs are profiting for. And others of us love our jobs and we're addicted to our jobs because they feed our ambition. And meanwhile, our sense of community and relationship is falling apart. We don't value. In fact, uh, you know, so often um, church becomes a pressure thing. Church is like, oh, I didn't get fed at church, or oh, I need to go to church. Have you ever realized that church needs you to go? Like, church needs you to go. Someone said to me this morning, hey, you know, we were, you know, during COVID and some different things, man, we really missed church. We had to get back. And I, I just said to him, we missed you too. Because we did. The body is meant to fit together. And it's more than just about what is communicated off a stage or what songs are sung or how good it feels. We're supposed to be a family that feeds each other's souls. And I think the results of our culture, we often are farther from that than we should be. So our busyness is not just because we're such hard workers. And there's a lot of hard workers in here. And sometimes we convince ourselves, well, I'm just a hard worker. But our busyness is not because we're hard workers. Our busyness is often because we are insecure addicts. We are too insecure to be okay with ourselves without something to do. And we are addicted to something keeping our attention. And when we are not okay being alone with ourselves or being vulnerable with people, I can guarantee you that being alone with God and vulnerable with him will be a challenge. But that's what God made you. He made you to experience that in a healthy, rejuvenating way. And so the point that I wanna make with this introduction and kind of some difficult ideas to wrestle with is that we need a different kind of work ethic than the one our culture naturally gives us. But we don't just need a different work ethic, we need a rest ethic. We need a, we need a, a principle of rest, a rule of rest that balances out the rule of work. We need both a good, godly work ethic and a good, godly rest ethic. And I believe that the Bible calls us to one. It doesn't just offer us one. The Bible calls us to one. The Bible actually demands one of God's people. We see that most clearly uh, with the Israelites where God really specifically applied the principle of Sabbath for the Israelites. The principle, as we talked about last week, that was rooted in God's character, in God's nature from Genesis 2, 2 and 3, where we see that God instilled rest into creation as a, as a normal habit. And we see it in the New Testament where Jesus practices Sabbath, but in a different way than the, than the Old Testament law prescribed. And so in Leviticus chapter 23, 3, we see it kind of clearly said to the Israelites, it says, you have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of complete rest, an official day for holy assembly. It is the Lord's Sabbath day and it must be observed wherever you live. 
Now, this was Moses explaining one of the Ten Commandments, one of the ten primary principles that God built the Mosaic Law on for the nation of Israel, ten primary principles that God said, if you want to learn how to love God and love people, these ten rules are a great start. And Sabbath was the fourth commandment. It summed up the first three commandments that were really about how do we love God, and Sabbath was the practical application of keeping God as your one true God, of not having idols in your life, of worshiping him more than anything else in your life and not dishonoring his name and his reputation in the world. Sabbath was key to completing those things. That's why it's the fourth commandment. And so the biblical model of work and Sabbath is work for six days on things that matter. You guys work for six days at your job? It's good. I don't think that's what the Bible means. But work for six days on things that matter. Sabbath for one day to remember the who and the why behind your work. We'll talk more about this, but Sabbath is about us remembering that we are not products of our work and our work is not simply a product of us, that we are products of God and work is a partnership with him. And out of that work with him, there are benefits that we are meant to, that we are intended to enjoy. So I would define work a little differently. You know, we think of work in terms of our job, but biblically work is any way that we sustain and add to the life that God created through our own talent and effort. I should think about that sentence for a moment. It's any way that you sustain or add to life God created. We'll see this in a moment, but God created life and then he gave us the ability to continue that life and build on it in creative ways that are like God. We are meant to be like God. And through our own unique talents and efforts, we get to add to what God did in creation. So Genesis 1.28, at the peak of the creation account, it says, then God blessed humanity and said, be fruitful and multiply. That's a family thing. That's a community thing. Then he said, fill the earth and govern it. That is a worldwide cultural thing. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. That's make the most of this creation that I've given you. And it took all sorts of different people, all sorts of different personalities and skill sets to complete that. But until the Great Commission was given, this was called the creation mandate. And it is God's intended mission for us before sin entered the world. And it's the, it's the mission that God's grace restores us to when we come to Christ. That we are allowed to join with God in the creative effort. How? We produce children. That's a pretty obvious way. But we raise those children to look like and act like God and go have a God-like effect on the world around us. That is the work that God has called us to, and part of that is in our jobs, but part of that is in how we take care of our homes, how we take care of the people around us, how we do things that sustain life in the world around us. And in a practical piece in the next chapter, Genesis 2.15, it says that the Lord God placed the man, Adam, the first man, in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it, to cultivate it and protect it. So the first example that God wanted of this, this idea of go into all the earth, be fruitful, multiply, harness the, the, the resources of the earth and do something with them. And he's like, and we're going to start with Adam in a garden. Adam, get your hands dirty produce some fruit, right? And Adam was, was given a task 
It didn't seem particularly holy, though later you see in scripture that it was kind of the first temple experience of God, and that's the reality of your work. Whatever job you do, whatever talents you have, God wants to use those to extend his presence, not just in a church building, but in every part of the world. And the way that you work, your jobs, and the way that you care for your homes and your community matters. Every time you cultivate some good thing at work, every time you cultivate some good thing in your home, in your daily lives, every time you create something or work on something that is productive and beautiful, you are partnering with God in his creation efforts. Which means that everything that you do can be worshipful to God. Everything you do is meant to be meaningful to God and the world around you. And when you do it well, it blesses God, but it also blesses the people around you. You can imagine if everybody that is working jobs in our society stopped working jobs in our society, what would happen? Things would fall apart. We saw glimpses of that in COVID and the aftermath of COVID where out of the fear of, of COVID, so many people were not working jobs that there were parts of society that kind of caved in on itself, right? So imagine the opposite. Imagine if every human being found the things they were good at and did it, not just for their own benefit, but did it for the benefit of their community. And did it not just for their own credit and their own promotion, but did it because they wanted to point to God and say, you know, there's a God who created me this way, and that's why I'm good at this. There's a God who created me to contribute to the community in this way. And so what that means for you is that every job, I shouldn't say every job, there's some that are just built on human sin and there's no real productive thing to the world, but most human jobs in society are contributing to what God's wanting to accomplish in the world. God doesn't just call people into vocational pastoral ministry. God calls everyone, creates everyone for a career path and your career path lived unto God and for the benefit of people around you could be just as if not more glorifying than any pastor or missionary depending on whether that pastor is doing it for their own benefit, for their own pride, for their own ego or for the glory of God, right? And so that's why Paul in Colossians 3.23 challenges the whole church, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. The Bible gives us a work ethic where it says what you work on matters. When you work on, and, and look at that creation mandate, Genesis 1.28 covers everything from raising kids and taking care of a home to being in every job in a community to inventing creative new ways for human beings to exist and harness the realities of our world. All of those things are encapsulated in God's cheering for you. He's like, yes, do that. Yes, pursue that dream. Yes, live that out, but live it unto me so that I can keep breathing life and humility into you so that you don't get sidetracked and sabotaged by sin. What you do matters. And for six days a week, you are meant to work on the things that God has given you. And he hasn't just, none of us are given just one thing, right? We're given a, a, a group of relationships. We're given some sort of space that we have as our own territory. You know, I'm reminded sometimes when I'm working in my yard, often not very efficiently, I'm like, you know what, I'm doing this for the Lord. Like, this is my little Garden of Eden. 
You know, I'm working on my house, which I hate doing. Some of you know that. I'm horrible at DIY projects. And yesterday I'm scraping uh, grout out of my shower and replacing that grout, just like a miserable job. Like I'm like in fetal position in the bottom of my shower. <laughs> right? And I was reminded, thankfully, by the Holy Spirit, as I was grumbling to myself, like I get to either do this unto myself and grumble about it, or I get to do it unto the Lord and thank him that I have a shower to shower in. And everybody can say, thank you, Jesus, for that, right? We, the, all of the work that we do matters. And we get to do it willingly and celebratorily unto the Lord or not. I talk to my kids about the fact that they go to school and sometimes study subjects that they don't like for Jesus. And how they do it unto Jesus matters for how other things happen in their lives, right? It works for all of us. So we need an accurate perspective on work, different from the culture around us. And the accurate perspective on our work is different from our world in this way. If we see the work in front of us, your jobs, your home responsibilities, whatever your work is, if we see the work in front of us as ours, it's all about us, it's for our glory, it's for our credit, it's for our profit, then we obsess over it. We get overly ambitious. We, we're willing to push people aside for the sake of our work, our homes, our jobs, our money. And when we see it as theirs for somebody else, for a boss, for a corporation, for a family member who makes us do it, for a landlord or whatever else that we have to, when we see it as theirs, I'm just doing this for them, we resent it and then we neglect it. But when we see all of our work as his, something that he gave us to do as part of his ongoing creative effort, even in a broken world, then we steward it with joy and purpose. Because I didn't, I didn't reseal that shower for myself to take pride in it and show my pictures of my, my stuff on social media, which I've done before, so don't, you know. And I didn't do it just for my wife so that she would stop nagging me about it. Because she never nags. So I've never experienced that. But I ended up, she really doesn't, sorry. That sounded way worse. Online, I apologize, everybody. No, she really doesn't. Wow. I wish I could say that was the first time I've been booed in a sermon. But... Uh, Pastor Susie, you might have to take over up here in a second. I'm falling apart. But when I do it for the Lord and say, you know what, Lord, I'm gonna take care of what you've given me. You've given me something. This has blessed me. It's gonna bless other people. I'm gonna take care of it unto you. And thank you for it. And thank you for giving me the resources to steward it. And thank you for the many showers and good hygiene I'm going to experience because of it. Right? That, that there's a blessing in that and a joy and a satisfaction that comes out of it, right? And so that's the way that you're meant to see your job. And some of you have jobs that you don't like. You don't like the people you work with. You wanted a different job. You don't like the position you're in. You're waiting for a promotion. You wish you made more money. And all those things, God understands. But do you understand that your job could be worship? And what is worship? Worship is one of the greatest access points to the presence and blessings of God that we have. And the more difficult the worship moment, the more blessing God pours out because of it. That's perspective on work. And when we work this way, it honors God, it blesses us, 
and that it impresses and shines a light to other people. But God knows that work has to be sustainable. And in a broken world, it can be very unsustainable. It can, be very, can get to very unhealthy extremes. And that's where rest comes in. And rest is simply taking a break from work to enjoy its fruits with, with the one who gave it to you. And that's the difference between Sabbath and just a day off, is who are you enjoying it with? Are you with God or are you trying to shut out and ignore everything around you? Are you with God or are you just trying to indulge yourself? If you're with God, it can be Sabbath. If you're without God, it's gonna be meaningless. You know, one of the most common uh, things that Jesus, that is recorded in scripture is Jesus redefining Sabbath with the, with the Pharisees. So in the Gospels, all four Gospels um, have certain themes of Jesus. You see a lot of healings in there. You see Jesus teaching parables in most of the Gospels. Uh, you see Jesus obviously dying on the cross, rising from the dead. You see Jesus' Jewish heritage recognized. But one of the themes that you see in all four of the Gospels is Jesus redefining from the Pharisees what Sabbath was meant to be. Because, and, and I won't read the whole passage to you this morning, but in Mark 2, I'm gonna read one of Jesus' redefining statements about the Sabbath because the Pharisees, the leading theological thinkers in, in Judaism at that time, had misunderstood what Sabbath was about. And I'm not gonna get too far into their misunderstanding. What I want you to, under, what I want you to comprehend is that they misunderstood it. They didn't understand what Sabbath was about, so they misapplied it, and they ruined it. And Jesus wants them to understand it and to apply it correctly so they can benefit from it. So in Mark chapter two, verses 27 and 28, Jesus sums up a little argument, a little altercation with the Pharisees about the meaning of Sabbath in this way. He says this in verse 27, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Which is why Jesus could change their understanding of the Sabbath because he's in charge of the Sabbath, not them. But here's the thing, they understood Sabbath as something else. They thought, maybe like you today, you're like, Caleb, now you're gonna just guilt trip us about Sabbath all, all the time. And there was a little bit of, of Jews feeling that way under the, the leadership of the Pharisees. Oh, you, there's just this rule that nobody could really fully achieve that they had to live up to or their salvation, their Judaism was in question. And the Pharisees were running around policing. All, oh, oh, you're not doing Sabbath, right? Oh, you're not doing Sabbath, right? Oh, you're ruining it just became exhausting. People were afraid to mess up Sabbath. There wasn't joy in Sabbath. It was a, just a big guilt trip. And Jesus, he says, hey, can I just tell you a secret? Remember that really strong law that God made in the Old Testament? That wasn't about God just getting enough attention from you. God's lived for eternity without your attention and he's just fine. That whole Sabbath rule was about you being sustained in a broken world. God made Sabbath such a serious rule, not for himself, for you. He said, I, God, just happen to be Lord of the Sabbath, which means that those needs that you bring into Sabbath that you need to be met in Sabbath, they will be met by the Lord. The Lord of the Sabbath means the host of Sabbath. 
It's a picture of a banquet table and you come in starving and hungry and Jesus is the host that has prepared a feast for you. He says, Take, I have a seat for you. There's plenty of food. Eat as much as you want. That's Sabbath. Some of you are like, oh, Caleb, I can't carve out 24 hours. Caleb, really, are you gonna make this old Jewish rule just such a big deal at Sound Life Church? And first of all, the answer is yes. Because I think you need it. And I know I need it. And I think it's one of the ways that we're gonna shine a light to our culture and be healthy enough to help unhealthy people. But when you think Sabbath, when you think 24 hours, don't think 24 hours of boring punishment. Don't think 24 hours of like religious education. Think 24 hours at the banquet table of the greatest host in history. 24 hours of a God who wants to feed your soul and also your body, right? And so rest is taking a break from all of the other pressures that we feel, both good and bad pressures, Right, like the pressure for me to take care of my home, the pressure for me to do job, well, that's a good pressure. But even that, God says, there's something more important than that pressure. That will only remain as worship to me if you take time to remind yourself of who I am and what this life is all about. So we have to redefine rest. We under, misunderstand rest in a different way. We think rest is about self-indulgence. We think the more that we can indulge ourselves in entertainment, in food, in fun, in whatever we think will just kind of stimulate us, the more stimulus, the more positive stimulus we can absorb, that's rest. And often it's not rest. Often it's mind-numbing distractions from the difficulties of our lives, Right? It's not rest, right? Anybody, anybody who has, has come, has woken up the next morning with a hangover, they realize that that wasn't rest. And now this day won't be either. Anybody who's come off of a high realizes that that kind of rest didn't fix anything. It usually made things worse. Anybody that spent a weekend binging on Netflix, you realize that you've lost more than you've gained. Because no matter how that show ends, it's not gonna help you in the real world right? The things that we do for entertainment or, you know, all these, I could use so many examples, but for the sake of time, I'll let your, your mind go there. But rest is not about pretending and ignoring, uh, pretending that there's nothing to be done and ignoring all of the problems and opportunities in the world. Rest is not just about sleeping more, eating more, entertaining more. There can be some of those things in real rest, but there can be too much of those things that crowds out rest. Rest is about renewing your body, mind, and soul with God. Renewing your body, mind, and soul to face a broken world with the help of a God who can make you flourish even in a broken world. So we have some accurate perspective on work. A new work ethic is to work for God but what about an accurate perspective on rest? If you see rest as your time to ignore the rest of life, you will only numb yourself and remain weary. We've all tried that, right? We know that feeling. But when you see rest as a shared experience of enjoying the fruit of your work with God and others, it refreshes you from the soul outward. And I am super pumped to, for, to preach next week's message about what Sabbath can really look like for us and what kinds of things you should do and how you should do them with God, but I'm restraining myself this week because you'd be here a really long time. 
But the point is this, that Sabbath is about you enjoying the best parts of life with God and with the, pe- the, the people he has put in your life. But the best parts of life are not always the things that our culture has promoted to us as the best parts of life, are they? Sometimes they're the things that history and culture have proven are the richest blessings of God. We'll talk about that next week. But when we live in this work and rest rhythm, the important parts of life are sustainable and satisfying. Work becomes sustainable and satisfying. Relationships become sustainable and satisfying. But when we don't live in that rhythm, we create a house of cards that will eventually collapse. And that looks like some sort of a breakdown, a mental breakdown, an emotional breakdown, a relational breakdown, a financial breakdown. Somewhere the house of cards will collapse. And I want to end just with the way that I think about this whole work-rest balance is on a spectrum, that there's this spectrum where work and rest are kind of in the middle of, of life, and that, that if you get to either extreme, it will be damaging. So in the healthy place of life, in the balance of life, you have work on one side, and obviously there's more days given to work than there is to rest, but you stay in this middle place of life. And some of us that are hard workers, we think about if people rest too much, what happens? Laziness happens and self-indulgence happens. And there's other people that love rest and they're married to a workaholic or their dad is a workaholic and they're like, yeah, but when, when you work too hard, you become this addict to work. And so at either extreme of the spectrum, we have workaholics and we have lazy people. And the church has been guilty of having both inside of them. In fact, you see in the New Testament, Paul rebuking people at either end of the spectrum. Why? Because in the middle, in the balance of work and rest, there's flourishing. But at the extremes, either extreme, do you know workaholism is destructive to yourself and to everyone around you, even though you think it's not? Even though you think it's not hurting, you think it's helping. And, and as a man, sometimes we excuse ourselves saying, well, I'm paying for all of this. I'm funding all of this. I'm making life possible. But you're stealing from those you love the thing they need most. And at the, on the lazy side of it, we think it's just me. I'm just enjoying life my way. I'm just doing life the way I want to do it. And meanwhile, you are neglecting the relationships around you and you are not contributing to your family, to your community, to the mission of God in any meaningful way. When you don't work, you are neglecting God's call on your life. And if you don't know what his call is, start working somewhere and let him direct you. It's amazing how he'll use that. So we want to be in that flourishing place in the middle. And here's the beautiful thing. Jesus took some of the like really strictness out of the rules and said, this is going to look a little different for each person. This is going to look a little different in different cultures. But the point is this, that you are going to, you're going to set aside 24 hours to not give in to the pressures of productivity and of a culture that says more, 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 more. You're going to stop and say, it's okay if the world passes me by today. It's okay if I miss that sale, miss that email. It's okay if this project goes undone 24 hours. It's okay if my yard gets unmowed for an extra 24 hours or whatever. I don't know. These are things I think about, right? It's okay because right now I'm going to invest in the relationships that matter most, starting with God and moving out from there. 
I'm gonna stop and for 24 hours I'm gonna enjoy some of the fruits of my labor. I'm gonna cook and eat a really good meal. I'm gonna take a nap. I'm gonna sit across a table and look at my wife, not because I need something from her or we need to make a decision, but because God gave us a relationship that's worth remembering and enjoying. Right? We need to live in that flourishing place in the middle. And then when I go to work, I'm gonna work my butt off. When I go to work, I am gonna work with every ounce of energy, creativity, talent, and gifting that I have, and I'm gonna end that work week exhausted and ready for some Sabbath, baby. Right? And we'll talk a little bit more about how the Sabbath looks next week, but we need to understand the rhythm that is sustainable and stop hiding behind workaholism and laziness and missing out on what God intended for our lives. And that looks different in different seasons of life. It looks different in different moments. But we all are meant to find flourishing in that balance of work and rest. And so as we kind of wrap up today, the question is, you know, so many different personalities around this room. There's different applications. Where is the Holy Spirit wanting you to balance out that work-rest balance a little bit? Have you leaned a little towards laziness? Have you leaned a little towards workaholism? Judging by the buy-in to the busyness idea earlier, maybe we all kind of are, we wouldn't consider ourselves workaholics, but maybe we're busyholics, right? Where's the Holy Spirit calling you to adjust? Where's he calling you to work a little differently with six days and rest a little differently one day a week? We're gonna do something that is wonderfully awkward in just a moment, I'm gonna pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us each individually, which I'm confident he will. And this is a great moment if you grabbed a journal last week to, to, to pull that out if you haven't already and to write down some of your prayers to the Lord and to, to listen and write down some of the things you feel convicted about in this moment as the word of God is being preached. What we're gonna do is the, the worship team is gonna come up in just a moment in, in all of our venues and just play some music. There's not gonna be any words, not on the screen, not from their lips. There's nothing for you to do except sit here. Are you gonna be okay with that? And some of you are gonna be like, oh, service is over, I'm gonna leave. No, 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 no. This is Jesus' time to have you all to himself. And you know what's beautiful? Is Jesus wants you to have him all to yourself. And he's capable of doing that. And I'm, just, I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna ask the Lord and what we're gonna do is we're gonna practice Sabbath for five minutes. Five minutes, can we handle five minutes? I'm literally gonna time it on my phone, five minutes. It won't be shorter, won't be longer. You okay with that? And I want you to sit for five minutes. If you really need to go to the bathroom, you can handle it for five minutes. If your phone has been buzzing in your pocket, you can wait for five minutes. Let's give Jesus five minutes and I want you to think about and pray about God, where do you want me to adjust? And I want you to walk out of here with a step. What is the step that God wants you to take to help in that balance of busyness and rest. What's the step he wants to take? And I would just encourage you, if you don't know what other step to take, start by saying, this is gonna be my best guess at a chunk of Sabbath time in the week. This is gonna be my best effort. And my wife and I are working at this. We're working at some different Sabbath moments, trying to figure out where and how does this fit and work in our lives and, 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 and what does work on our home and our jobs look like in balance with all that. The Holy Spirit's gonna speak to you. And we're gonna walk out of here as people that are moving towards flourishing, not towards destruction.
So Father, we give this time to you. We ask that you would move and speak in our midst, that you would move and speak to us about this balance in our life. And Lord, sometimes it seems so practical, it's hard to believe it's spiritual. But you have made work spiritual, you've made rest spiritual, and when we're in touch with you, it all has value and meaning. And so Father, I pray over these next five minutes that you would show us what steps we need to take. For those that need to take work a little more seriously or go back to our jobs tomorrow with different perspective, help us to do that. For those that need to take rest seriously and go back to our jobs tomorrow with an understanding that that job doesn't rule us, but that you do, help us to rest well in you. So we give you this time. Holy Spirit, speak in Jesus' name.